Welcome to the FBC Athens podcast, open to explore devotions. We are now in the fourth week of our Lenten journey, today being the 23rd day of our pilgrimage to the cross. The devotion is given by Michael Cleland. It is based on Jesus' words in Matthew 25, 31 through 46, and read today from the New Living Translation. Listen to the tune of Simple Gifts, played by Addison Acock, and prepare your mind, heart, and spirit to listen for God. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence, and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you, From the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. In contrast with other parables we've examined, this story is a little different. In fact, it is not a parable. Some have called it a great mythic vision. For one thing, Jesus does not say the kingdom of heaven is like or as. 
as an introduction to this parable. In fact, we are only told that the righteous will inherit the kingdom. That's the only place the word kingdom is found in this passage. Scholars have said that this really resembles an apocalyptic story or a story about the end or to remind us about the end that relates somewhat familiar images such as someone who sits on a throne and renders judgment to their subjects. We can put this at the end of time and the assumption of the text provides that focus. You know, we have to ask ourselves the question, do we believe Jesus is coming again? Do we believe in a general judgment where Jesus sits on a throne? Do we believe the righteous will inherit the kingdom of God and the rest will go to everlasting punishment? Uh, Well, if you read this at face value, you would have to at least give a nod that that's the case. But let's expand this and dive deeper into it. Let me say, first of all, a little bit about the phrase son of man. This is a phrase that's used both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Jesus calls himself the Son of Man in many cases. In the Old Testament, it is used the most, referring by God to Ezekiel, the prophet, and we could probably substitute the phrase human one or human in those cases. This phrase is used 107 times in the Hebrew Bible, and 93 of those occurrences happen in Ezekiel. But it is also used in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where it denotes a future eschatological figure referred to there as one, as a son of man, possibly a human being, but most likely a title. This seems to be the way that Jesus uses it throughout the Gospels in select passages, especially in this story. He identifies himself as the son of man, not a son of man in the Gospels, but the reference is the same. We mention this because it fits with the context of the passage. Additionally, when Jesus speaks about the nations being gathered before him, most likely we're to think of the final judgment. The final judgment is usually at the end of time when all of the dead will be raised, not only the Israelites, but every nation, every people under heaven, and everyone who has ever lived from the beginning of time until the end will be judged by the Lord in terms of what the church refers to as the general judgment or the final judgment. Now, I had to do a little bit of going down memory lane here because uh, perhaps like some of you, I was raised with dispensational theology when I began my journey in evangelicalism. We were taught about the rapture, seven years of tribulation, the sheep and goat judgment, a thousand years of millennium, the great white throne judgment, and a new heaven and a new earth. I don't know, I think it's good that I have forgotten all about that at this this point. But that was the way the future timeline was designated, which meant that Christians were not present at the sheep and goat judgment. However, I don't recommend that as a template for us understanding our theology, and so let's take this at somewhat face value. Jesus here uses the analogy of a shepherd separating the sheep and the goats, As a metaphor, the final separation of the righteous who will inherit everlasting life and the wicked who will inherit everlasting punishment. So the imagery here is not necessarily an accident because if you look at sheep and goats, one of the things you will notice about the two animals is that they have often very different personalities. Sheep as a rule are docile. They follow the shepherd's instructions. They follow their voice. They flock together. Goats, on the other hand, are stubborn, 
and they may not listen to the one who is trying to guide them and herd them. So there's a sense of that. And the righteous are those who are obedient to the Lord, who are in a sense maybe docile to the will of God, whereas the goats, the wicked, are those who are prideful, who are rebellious or stubborn, have refused to do the will of God. Jesus doesn't make that explicit, but it is kind of implicit in the language and the imagery used for the sheep and the goats. So uh, he puts the sheep on his right hand and the goats on the left, and then he begins to pronounce judgment. But really, how much should we press the difference between the personalities of sheep and goats here? Notice the only evaluation in this text is based on works of mercy and acts of charity only. There is no creed of confession, no apostles or Nicene creed, no BFM 2000 that Jesus sticks in our face and asks us to sign. Rather, our evaluation is based on whether we feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visiting those who are in prison, visiting the sick, caring for those who are in need, and welcoming the stranger. That's how we're judged. That's how we're evaluated. But what does that mean? Social scientists have talked about something called the proximity factor. We tend to care more for the individual or their passions and desires than a group. So, for example, currently I give part of my mission's donations to an organization called Dark Bali. And the reason I do is because I know the director of the Dark Bali program personally. But I find it can also go the other way. Churches often care for groups of needy persons as a larger group than perhaps the needy individuals that may sit in the pew right next to them or live right next door to them. A quick example of this, in one church I was a part of, the youth pastor and the senior pastor were let go very, very quickly in succession to each other, about two months apart. And they had a very difficult time trying to find work. And so it meant that they had to try and find work in a blue-collar type profession for a few months until maybe another ministry opportunity came along. It was very difficult for both of them. And oftentimes they were very depressed and discouraged thinking, is this what the future looks like for me? Unfortunately, there wasn't a lot of compassion and care on the part of that particular congregation relative to those pastors who'd been let go. They were the individual, but there didn't seem to be much compassion when we look at it that way. Another thought here is that these actions may be directed toward sojourners and immigrants. When a person would immigrate from another country into Israel, they were essentially bereft of their protections, the ordinary protections of family, friends, and employment. So when we read our Old Testament, our Hebrew scriptures, God made very clear to the people in there that they were to welcome the stranger and not to abuse them or the immigrant or the alien or the person from another country. I really don't need to say anything more about this. Probably we need to let this sink into our bones and simmer a while in terms of application. Now there's a joke that says when we get to heaven, we need to ensure we get into the sheep line, not the goat line. A bit more seriously, I like the way the stage and movie musical Godspell handled this story some years ago. After Jesus has told the story of the sheep and the goats, the goats are sitting around pretty depressed. 
However, Jesus comes back, pokes his head around the corner, and motions to the goats that they're welcome to join the sheep as well. Now, the Gospel of Matthew's account is probably a bit more authoritative than Stephen Schwartz, but what do we do with these eternal bliss and punishment passages? What do we do about being consigned into outer darkness and the weeping and the gnashing of teeth? I struggle with these, and they seem to go through these parables and stories of Matthew like a chorus. What do you think? I think perhaps they may be used by Matthew as sort of a warning sign, basically saying to us, saying to his hearers and listeners, that we need to pay particular attention to what is being said, what is being taught in these passages. It's like this is something serious, and we need to pay a special attention and make sure that we don't go the way of the goats or we don't complain like the workers that had to work all day uh, as opposed to those who only worked for a few hours. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you that again we're reminded that You're a God that rewards us for the way we treat other people and how we are kind and compassionate and caring for those who are in need. Help us as we move through the season of Lent to be aware of these neighbors, these parishioners, these people on the street, and let us do all we can to care for them and minister to them with the ability that you give us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.